chapter one of your united states impressions of a first visit this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales your united states impressions of a first visit by arnold bennett chapter one the first night i sat with a melting ice on my plate and my gaze on a very distant swinging door through which came and went every figure except the familiar figure i desired the figure of a woman came she wore a pale blue dress and a white apron and cap and carried a dish in uplifted hands with the gesture of an acolyte on the bib of the apron were two red marks and as she approached tripping scornfully unheeding along the interminable carpeted aisle between serried tables of correct diners the vague blur of her face gradually developed into features and the two red marks on her stomacher grew into two rampant lions each holding a globe in its ferocious paws and she passed on bearing away the dish and these mysterious symbols and lessened into a puppet on the horizon of the enormous hall and finally vanished through another door she was succeeded by men all bearing dishes but none of them so inexorably scornful as she and none of them disappearing where she had disappeared every man relented and stopped at some table or another but the figure i desired remained invisible and my eyes continued to melt in accordance with chemical law the orchestra in the gallery leaped suddenly into the ragtime without whose accompaniment it was impossible anywhere in the civilized world to dine correctly that ragtime committed i suppose originally by some well-intentioned if banal composer in the privacy of his study one night had spread over the whole universe of restaurants like a pest to the exasperation of the sensitive but evidently to the joy of correct diners joy shone in the elated eyes of the four hundred persons correctly dining together in this high refectory and at the end there was honest applause and yet you never encountered a person who questioned singly did not agree and even assert of his own accord that music at meals is an outrageous nuisance however my desired figure was at length manifest the man came hurrying and a little breathless with his salver at once apologetic and triumphant my ice was half liquid had i not the right to reproach him in the withering contemptuous tone which correct diners have learned to adopt toward the alien serfs who attend them i had not i had neither the right nor the courage nor the wish this man was as anglo-saxon as myself he had with all his deference the mean of the race when he dreamed of paradise he probably did not dream of the case of a cosmopolitan grand hotel in switzerland when he spoke english he was not speaking a foreign language and this restaurant was one of the extremely few fashionable anglo-saxon restaurants left in the world where an order given in english is understood at the first try and where the english language is not assassinated and dismembered by menials who despise it 
menials who slang one another openly in the patois of geneva luxembourg or naples a singular survival this restaurant moreover the man was justified in his triumphant air not only had he most intelligently brought me a fresh ice but he had brought the particular kind of rusk for which i had asked there were over thirty dishes on the emblazoned menu and of course i had wanted something that was not on it a peculiar rusk a rusk recondite and unheard of by my fellow diners the man had hopefully said that he would see and here lay the rusk magically obtained i felicitated him as an equal and then having consumed the ice and the fruits of the hothouse i arose and followed in the path of the lion-breasted woman and arrived at an elevator and was wafted aloft by a boy of sixteen who did nothing else from six a m till midnight so he said but ascend and descend in that elevator by the discipline of this inspiring and jocund task he was being prepared for manhood and the greater world and yet what would you elevators must have boys and even men civilization is not so simple as it may seem to the passionate reformer and lover of humanity later in the vast lounge above the restaurant i formed one of a group of men most of whom had acquired fame and had the slight agreeable self-consciousness that fame gives and i listened against a background of the ever insistent music to one of those endless and multifarious reminiscent conversations that are heard only in such places the companion on my right would tell how he had inhabited a house in siam next to the temple in front of which the corpses of people too poor to be burned were laid out after surgical preliminaries to be devoured by vultures and how the vultures when gorged would flap to the roof of his house and sit there in contemplation and the companion on my left would tell how when he was unfamous and on his beam ends he would stay in bed with a sham attack of influenza and on the day when a chance offered itself would get up and don his only suit a glorious one and fitting an eyeglass into his eye because it made him look older would go forth to confront the chance and then the talk might be interrupted in order to consult the morning paper and so settle a dispute about the exact price of union pacifics and then an italian engineer would tell about sport in the woods of maine a perfect menagerie of wild animals where it was advisable to use a revolver lest the excessive noise of a fowling piece should disturb the entire forest and how once he had shot seven times at an imperturbable partridge showing its head over a tree and missed seven times and how the partridge had at last flown off with a flicker of plumage that almost said aloud well i really can't wait any longer and then might follow a simply tremendous discussion about the digestibility of buckwheat cakes and then the conversation of every group in the lounge would be stopped by the entry of a page bearing a telegram and calling out in the voice of destiny the name of him to whom the telegram was addressed and then another companion would relate in intricate detail a recent excursion into yucatan 
speaking negligently as though it were a trifle of the extraordinary beauty of the women of yucatan and in the end making quite plain his conviction that no other women were as beautiful as the women of yucatan and then the inevitable mona lisa would get on to the carpet and one heard apropos of the theft of adam mantelpieces from russell square and of superb masterpieces of paint rotting with damp in neglected venetian churches and so on and so on until one had the melancholy illusion that the whole art world was going or gone to destruction but this subject did not really hold us for the reason that beneath a blasé exterior we were all secretly preoccupied by the beauty of the women of yucatan and wondering whether we should ever get to yucatan and then looking by accident away i saw the dim provocative faces of girls in white jerseys and woollen caps peering from without through the dark double windows of the lounge and i was glad when somebody suggested that it was time to take a turn and outside in the strong wind abaft the four funnels of the lusitania a star seemed to be dancing capriciously around and about the masthead light and it was difficult to believe that the masthead and its light and not the star were dancing from the lofty promenade deck the atlantic wave is a little enough thing so far down beneath you that you can scarcely even sniff its salty tang but when the elevator boy always waiting for me had lowered me through five floors i stood on tiptoe and gazed through the thick glass of a porthole there and the flying atlantic wave theatrically moonlit now was very near suddenly something jumped up and hit the glass of the porthole a fearful crashing blow that made me draw away my face in alarm and the solid ground on which i stood vibrated for an instant it was the atlantic wave caressing anybody on the other side of this thin nicely painted steel plate i thought would be in a rather hopeless situation i turned away half shivering from the menace all was calm and warm and reassuring within the ship in the withdrawn privacy of my berth with the curtains closed over the door and murray gilchrist's new novel in my hand and a poised electric lamp over my head i looked about as i lay and everything was still except a towel that moved gently almost imperceptibly to and fro yet the towel had copied the immobility of the star it alone did not oscillate forty-five thousand tons were swaying but not that towel the sense of actual present romance was too strong to let me read i extinguished the light and listened in the dark to the faint straining noises of the enormous organism i thought this magic thing is taking me there in three days i shall be on that shore terrific adventure the rest of the passengers were merely going to america the magic thing was much more magic than i had conceived the next morning being up earlier than usual and wandering about on strange enclosed decks unfamiliar to my feet i beheld astonishing unsuspected populations of men and women 
crowds of them a healthy powerful prosperous independent somewhat stern and disdainful multitude it seemed to me those muscular striding girls in caps and shawls would not yield an inch to me in their promenade they brushed strongly and carelessly past me had i been a ghost they would have walked through me they were and had been all living eating and sleeping somewhere within the vessel and i had not imagined it it is true that some ass in the saloon had already calculated for my benefit that there were three thousand souls on board the solemn use of the word souls in this connection by a passenger should stamp a man forever but such numerical statements do not really arouse the imagination i had to see with my eyes and i did see with my eyes that afternoon a high officer of the ship spiriting me away from the polite flirtations and pastimes of the upper decks carried me down to more exciting scenes and i saw a whole string of young women inoculated against smallpox under the interested gaze of a crowd of men ranging on a convenient staircase and a little later i saw a whole string of men inoculated against smallpox under the interested gaze of a crowd of young women ranged on a convenient staircase they're having their sweet revenge said the high officer indicating the young women he was an epigrammatic and terse speaker when i reflected aloud upon the order and discipline of service which was necessary to maintain more than a thousand roguish persons in idleness cleanliness health peace and content in the inelastic forward spaces of the ship he said with a certain grimness everything has to be screwed up as tight as you can screw it and you must keep to the round what you do to-day you must do to-morrow but what you don't do to-day you can't get done to-morrow nevertheless it proved to be a very human world a world in which the personal equation counted i remember that while some four hundred in one long hall were applauding home sweet home very badly fiddled by a gay man on a stool home sweet home and half of them scandinavians and another four hundred or so were sitting expectant on those multifarious convenient staircases or wandering in and out of the maze of cubicles that contained fifteen hundred separate berths and a third four hundred or so in another long hall were consuming a huge tea offered to them by a cohort of stewards in white i remember that while all this was going forward and the complex mechanism of the kitchen was in full strain a little untidy woman with an infant dragging at one hand and a mug in the other strolled nonchalantly into the breathless kitchen and said to a hot cook please will you give me a drop of milk for this child and under the military gaze of the high officer too something awful should have happened the engines ought to have stopped the woman ought to have been ordered out to instant execution the engines did seem to falter for a moment but the high officer grimly smiled and they went on again give me your mug mother said the cook and the untidy woman went off with her booty 
now i'll show you the first-class kitchens the high officer said and guided me through uncharted territories to chambers where spits were revolving in front of intense heat and where a confectionery business proceeded night and day and dough was mixed by electricity and potatoes peeled by the same and where a piece of clockwork lifted an egg out of boiling water after it had lain therein the number of seconds prescribed by you and there pinned to a board was the order i had given for a special dinner that night and there too more impressive even than that order was a list of the several hundred stewards together with a designation of the post of each in case of casualty i noticed that thirty or forty of them were told off to control passengers after all we were in the midst of the atlantic and in a crisis the elevator boys themselves would have more authority than any passenger however gorgeous a thought salutary for gorgeous passengers that they were in the final resort mere fool bodies to be controlled after i had seen the countless storerooms in the recesses of each of which was hidden a clerk with a pen behind his ear and a nervous and taciturn air and passed on to the world of the second cabin which was a surprisingly brilliant imitation of the great world of the saloon i found that i held a much diminished opinion of the great world of the saloon which i now perceived to be naught but a thin crust or artificial gee-gaw stuck over the truly thrilling parts of the ship it was not however till the next day that i realized what the most thrilling part of the ship was under the protection of another high officer i had climbed to the bridge seventy-five feet above the level of the sea which bridge had been very seriously disestablished by an ambitious wave a couple of years before and had there inspected the devices for detecting and extinguishing fires in distant holes by merely turning a handle and the charts and the telephones and the telegraphs and the underwater signalling and the sounding tubes and the officer's piano and i had descended by way of the capstan gear which being capable of snapping a chain that would hold two hundred and sixty tons in suspension was suitably imprisoned in a cage like a fierce wild animal right through the length of the vessel to the wheelhouse aft it was comforting to know that if six alternative steering wheels were smashed one after another there remained a seventh gear to be worked chiefly by direct force of human arm and after descending several more stories i had seen the actual steering the tremendous affair moving to and fro majestic and apparently capricious in obedience to the light touch of a sailor six hundred feet distant and then i had seen the four shafts revolving lazily one hundred and eighty-four to the minute and got myself involved in dangerous forests of greasy machinery whizzing all deserted in a very high temperature under electric bulbs only at rare intervals did i come across a man in brown doing nothing in particular as often as not gazing at a dial there were dials everywhere showing pressures and speeds and then i had come to the dynamo room where the revolutions were twelve hundred to the minute and then to the turbines themselves insignificant little things with no swagger of huge crank and piston 
disappointing little things that developed as much as one-third of the horsepower required for all the electricity of new york and then lastly when i had supposed myself to be at the rock bottom of the steamer i had been instructed to descend in earnest and i went down and down steel ladders and emerged into an enormous an incredible cavern where a hundred and ninety gigantic furnaces were being fed every ten minutes by hundreds of tiny black dolls called firemen i too was a doll as i looked up at the high white-hot mouth of a furnace and along the endless vista of mouths imagine hell with the addition of electric light and you have it and upstairs far above all the surface of the water confectioners were making fancy cakes and the elevator boy was doing his work yes the inferno was the most thrilling part of the ship and no other part of the ship could hold a candle to it and i remained of this conviction even when i sat in the captain's own room smoking his august cigars and turning over his books i no longer thought every revolution of the propellers brings me nearer to the shore i thought every shovelful flung into those white-hot mouths brings me nearer it is an absolute fact that four hours before we could hope to disembark ladies in mantles and shore hats seeming fantastic and enormous after the sobriety of ship attire and gentlemen in shore hats and dark overcoats were standing in attitudes of expectancy in the saloon hall holding wraps and small bags some of their faces had never been seen till then in the public resorts of the ship excitement will indeed take strange forms for myself although i was on the threshold of the greatest adventure of my life i was unaware of being excited i had not even smelled land to say nothing of having seen it until when it was quite dark i descried a queerly arranged group of different coloured lights in the distance yellow red green and what not my thoughts ran instantly to coney island i knew that coney was an island and that it was a place where people had to be attracted and distracted somehow and i decided that these illuminations were a device of the pleasure-mongers of coney and when the ship began to salute these illuminations with answering flares i thought the captain was a rather good-natured man to consent thus to amuse the populace but when we slowed our propellers covering the calm sea with acres of foam and the whole entire illuminations began to approach us in a body i perceived that my coney island was merely another craft but a very important and official craft an extremely small boat soon detached itself from this pyrotechnical craft and came with a most extraordinary leisureness towards a white square of light that had somehow broken forth in the blackness of our side and looking down from the topmost deck i saw far below the tiny boat manoeuvre on the glinting wave into the reflection of our electricity and three mysterious men climb up from her and disappear into us then it was that i grew really excited uncomfortably excited the united states had stretched out a tentacle in no time at all as it seemed another and more formidable tentacle had folded round me in the shape of two interviewers 
how these men had got on board and how my own particular friend had got on board i knew not for we were yet far from quayside i had been hearing all my life about the sublime american institution of the interview i had been warned by americans of its piquant dangers and here i was suddenly up against it beneath a casual and jaunty exterior i trembled i wanted to sit but dared not they stood i stood these two men however were adepts they had the better qualities of american dentists obviously they spent their lives in meeting notorieties on inbound steamers and made naught of it they were middle-aged disillusioned tepidly polite conscientious and rapid they knew precisely what they wanted and how to get it having got it they raised their hats and went their printed stories were brief quite unpretentious and inoffensive though one of them did let out that the most salient part of me was my teeth and the other did assert that i behaved like a schoolboy doubtless the result of timidity trying to be dignified this alleged schoolboyishness i liked these men but they gave me an incomplete idea of the race of interviewers in the united states there is a variety of interviewers very different from them i am i think entitled to consider myself a fairly first-class authority on all varieties of interviewer not only in new york but in sundry other great cities my initiation was brief but it was thorough many varieties won my regard immediately and kept it but i am conscious that my sympathy with one particular brand perhaps not numerous was at times imperfect the brand in question as to which i was amiably cautioned before even leaving the steamer is usually very young and as often a girl as a youth he or she cheerfully introduces himself or herself with a hint that of course it is an awful bore to be interviewed but he or she has a job to do and he or she must be allowed to do it just so but the point which in my audacity i have occasionally permitted to occur to me is this is this sort of interviewer capable of doing the job allotted to him i do not mind slips of reporting i do not mind a certain agreeable malice indeed i reckon to do a bit in that line myself i do not even mind hasty misrepresentations for after all we are human and the millennium is still unannounced but i do object to inefficiency especially in america where sundry kinds of efficiency have been carried farther than any efficiency was ever carried before now this sort of interviewer too often prefaces the operation itself by the remark that he really doesn't know what question to ask you too often i have been tempted to say well why not ask me to write the interview for you it will save you trouble having made this remark the interviewer usually proceeds to give a sketch of her own career together with a conspectus of her opinions on everything a reference to her importance in the interviewing world and some glimpse of the amount of her earnings this achieved she breaks off breathless and reproaches you but my dear man you haven't said anything at all you really must say something my dear man is the favorite form of address of this sort of interviewer when she happens to be a girl too often i have been tempted to reply 
cleopatra or ellen which of us is being interviewed when he has given you a chance to talk this sort of interviewer listens helps corrects advises but never takes a note the result the next morning is the anticipated result the average newspaper reader gathers that an extremely brilliant young man or woman has held converse with a very commonplace stranger who being confused in his or her presence committed a number of absurdities which offered a strong and painful contrast to the cleverness and wisdom of the brilliant youth this result apparently satisfies the average newspaper reader but it does not satisfy the expert immediately after my first bout with interviewers i was seated at a table in the dining saloon of the ship with my particular friend and three or four friendly quiet modest rather diffident human beings whom i afterward discovered to be among the best and most experienced newspaper men in new york not interviewers said one of them not every interviewer in new york knows how to write how to put a sentence together decently and there are perhaps a few who don't accurately know the difference between impudence and wit a caustic remark perhaps but i have noticed that when the variety of interviewing upon which i have just animadverted becomes the topic quiet reasonable americans are apt to drop into causticity said another i was a reporter for twelve years but i was cured of personalities at an early stage and by a nigger too i had been interviewing a nigger prize-fighter and i had made some remarks about the facial characteristics of niggers in general some other nigger wrote me a long letter of protest and it ended like this i've never seen you but i've seen your portraits and let me respectfully tell you that you're no lillian russell some mornings i too might have sat and written from visual observation let me respectfully tell you that you're no lillian russell said a third among my companions no importance whatever is attached to a certain kind of interview in the united states which i found later was quite true in theory but not in practice whenever in that kind of interview i had been made to say something more acutely absurd and maladroit than usual my friends who watched over me and to whom i owe so much that cannot be written were a little agitated for about half an hour in about half an hour the matter had somehow passed from their minds supposing i refused to talk to that sort of interviewer i asked at the saloon table the interviews will appear all the same was the reply my subsequent experience contradicted this on the rare occasions when i refused to be interviewed what appeared was not an interview but invective let me not be misunderstood i have been speaking of only one brand of american interviewer i encountered a couple of really admirable women interviewers not too young and a confraternity of men who did not disdain an elementary knowledge of their business one of these arrived with a written list of questions took a shorthand note of all i said and then brought me a proof to correct in interviewing this amounts almost to genius i have indicated what to me seems a defect trifling possibly but still a defect in the brilliant organization of the great national sport of interviewing were this defect removed as it could be the institution might be as perfect as the american oyster 
than which nothing is more perfect you aren't drinking your coffee said someone inspecting my cup at the saloon table no i answered firmly for when the smooth efficiency of my human machine is menaced i am as fatty and nervous as a marine engineer over lubrication if i did i shouldn't sleep and what of it demanded my particular friend challengingly it was a rebuke it was as if he had said on this great night when you enter my wondrous and romantic country for the first time what does it matter whether you sleep or not i saw the point i drank the coffee the romantic sense which had been momentarily driven back by the discussion of general ideas swept over me in fact through the saloon windows could be seen all the battery end of new york and the first vague visions of skyscrapers then the moments refused to be counted we were descending by lifts and by gangways from the high upper decks of the ship down into the rocky ground of the united states i don't think that any american ever set foot in europe with a more profound and delicious thrill than that which affected me at that instant i was there the official and unofficial activities of the key passed before me like a dream i heard my name shouted by a man in a formidably severe uniform and i thought thus early have i somehow violated the constitution of these states but it was only a telegram for me and then i was in a most rickety and confined taxi and the taxi was full to the brim with luggage two friends and me and i was off into new york at the centre of the first crossroads i saw a splendid and erect individual flashing forth authority gaiety and utter smartness in the gloom impossible not to believe that he was the owner of all the adjacent ground disguised as a cavalry officer on foot what is that archduke i inquired ah, he's just a cop i knew then that i was in a great city the rest of the ride was an enfevered phantasmagoria we burst startlingly into a very remarkable deep glade on the floor of it long and violent surface cars a few open shops and bars with commissionaires at the doors vehicles dipping and rising out of holes in the ground vistas of forests of iron pillars on the top of which ran deafening glittering trains as on a tightrope above all that a layer of darkness and above the layer of darkness enormous moving images of things in electricity a mastodon kitten playing with a ball of thread an umbrella in a shower of rain siphons of soda water being emptied and filled gigantic horses galloping at full speed and an incredible heraldry of chewing gum sky signs in europe i had always inveighed manfully against sky signs but now i bowed the head vanquished these sky signs annihilated argument moreover had they not been made possible by the invention of a european and that european an intimate friend of my own i suppose this is broadway i ventured it was that is to say it was one of the broadways there are several different ones what could be more different from this than the downtown broadway of trinity church and the crowded skyscrapers and even this broadway could differ from itself 
as i knew later on an election night i was overpowered by broadway you must not expect me to talk i said we drew up in front of a huge hotel and went into the bar huge and gorgeous to match shimmering with white bartenders and a variegated population of men about town i had never seen such a bar two polands and a scotch highball was the order of which geographical language i understood not a word see the fresco my particular friend suggested and from his tone at once modestly content and artificially careless i knew that that nursery rhyme fresco was one of the sights of the pleasure quarter of new york and that i ought to admire it well i did admire it i found it rather fine and apposite but the free luncheon counter as a sight took my fancy more here it was the free luncheon counter of which the european reads generously loaded and much freer than the air have something i would not they could shame me into drinking coffee but they could not shame me into eating corned beef and granite biscuits at eleven o'clock at night the poland water sufficed me we swept perilously off again into the welter that same evening three of my steamer companions were thrown out of a rickety taxi into a hole in the ground in the middle of new york with the result that one of them spent a week in a hotel bed under doctor and nurse but i went scatheless such are the hazards of life we arrived at a terminus and it was a great terminus a great terminus is an inhospitable place and just here in the perfection of the manner in which my minutest comfort was studied and provided for i began to appreciate the significance of american hospitality that combination of eager good nature oriental lavishness and sheer brains we had time to spare close to the terminus we had passed by a hotel whose summit for all my straining out of the window of the cab i had been unable to descry i said that i should really like to see the top of that hotel no sooner said than done i saw the highest hotel i had ever seen we went into the hotel teeming like the other one and from an agreeable and lively young dandy bought three cigars out of millions of cigars not but banknotes seem to be current the european has an awe of banknotes whatever their value then we were in the train and the train was moving and every few seconds it shot past the end of a long straight lighted thoroughfare scores upon scores of them with a wider and more brilliant street interspersed among them at intervals and i forgot at what hundredth street the train paused before rolling finally out of new york i had had the feeling of a vast and metropolitan city i thought whatever this is or is not it is a metropolis and will rank with the best of them i had lived long in more than one metropolis and i knew the proud and the shameful unmistakable marks of the real thing and i was aware of a poignant sympathy with those people and those mysterious generations who had been gradually and yet so rapidly putting together girder by girder and tradition by tradition all unseen by me till then this illustrious proud organism with its nobility and its baseness its rectitude and its mournful errors its colossal sense of life i liked new york 
irrevocably. End of chapter 1